0: Hi and welcome to the Wine Goblins. We are three best friends trying to share our love of wine with anyone willing to listen. My name is Danny, and I'm the one who is learning about wine through this adventure and the person I would say who's leading us in a way is Jr., who is my brother-in-law and the most knowledgeable of us about wine. junior
1: I'm the fake expert but today the one actually leading us is the always adorable Often charming and sometimes inappropriate, Aaron.
0: Sometimes.
2: Hey, folks, my name is Aaron. Love to do yoga, really stretch out uh, your ham. My hamstrings, lower back. And, you know, I just love wine. I love hanging out with my besties. Fortunately, they're in California. I'm in Washington state, so we need to do it over Zoom. So what better than doing a wine podcast with them?
1: Today on this episode, we're flipping up the format and we're going to start with our wine story of the week. And this is going to come off the cuff because our wine story of the week is actually about Danny. Danny's husband texted me a photo of her trying to open the bottle of wine tonight. And Danny, why was the bottle of wine on the floor?
0: Oh no. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. Hot red. So I haven't actually opened a bottle of wine by myself until tonight. And JR sent me a very helpful video, but I found, you know, holding the wine bottle on the counter, I just wasn't strong enough. (laughs) I'm so short that I couldn't get enough force to, like, open it. So by placing the wine bottle on the floor between my legs, I was able to use that extra help to, like, really get the wine open.
1: If we can talk Danny into it, we'll post from the Instagram the video I sent her and the end result of what she tried to do. You guys can comment on how you think this turned out, but she got it
2: open, so net positive overall. Danny, you got married 3 months ago. Do you think that opening things using your legs has been easier since then?
0: <laughs> uh, so, as a short small, weak person, I kind of have to be very innovative with how I handle everyday life situations. Right? Oh, no, I would not say I would say if anything, being married has really helped me not need to like do weird things like that, because I can rely on Kobe. And
1: her counters are like pretty high. I feel like they're higher than most counters. So I I could see how that could be harder to open a wine bottle if you're not very tall.
0: Thank you. And for all those people who are listening to a wine podcast who haven't opened wine yet, you're not alone.
2: Danny, thank (laughs) you for being vulnerable. Um... I
0: highly recommend the floor. think it really works.
2: (laughs) But it's red, you're opening red wine. Why? It seems like a high risk, especially if carpets around. Are we not worried about carpets? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So only if it's hardwood or linoleum or laminate. Okay. Now, Danny, you have been going to the gym off and on for stronger shoulders. Do we need to work on your grip strength? Because it sounds like we're probably just focusing on one area of the body and maybe need to focus on, you know, like I said, grip strength, forearm strength. I don't know. Overall-
0: i think i really just need to open more wine and that will solve okay, well. the problem
1: you're in the right place I, I think we actually might have to get danny one of those like gadgety wine openers i hate them i hate I, them I like too. personally like the wine fob openers but honestly if we can make her life easier to open more bottles of wine we might have to bite the bullet on this one
0: is there a problem <laughs> with putting it like on the floor that doesn't the wine's in the bottle it's protected
1: it just feels like you're adding an unnecessary variable and like the amount of force you're trying to exert on opening the ball of wine could just go horribly wrong.
2: Okay, Mr. Physics, calm down. All right. People <laughs> come here to listen to us talk about wine, not you just being a nerd about science all day. Ironically, we're going to talk about fermentation. So whoops.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So today we're doing a learning corner and Aaron is going to lead us in. What are you going to lead us in, Aaron.
2: Well, are we gonna have JR's story first?
1: Oh, that, that was, was his
0: story. <laughs> his story was about me.
1: <laughs> I can I can tell another story if you guys want. Yeah,
2: yeah. let's let's it's a it's a light week. Let's. Have All right,
1: on. we're doing another story. So, Danny, Aaron, and I are in a group chat with my wife Taylor, and part of that group chat is we have a shared notes folder. And in the shared notes folder, there's some bets that we put together. And one of the bets that was made, I think behind my back, was what. I think it was what age I would get into whiskey or bourbon. I can't remember. Yeah, yes. it,
0: we made that bet when we were eating at that restaurant.
1: Was that mm-hmm. the one in Ojai? Oh, oh yes. yeah. Rory's Rory's place in Ojai. Shout out to Rory's place. You were there. It wasn't behind your back. So
2: you I was there, participating just, in this bet?
0: Yeah. You just weren't fully. Rory's
2: mentally. place has a great wine selection for anyone that's interested, as you can tell. So an update
1: to that bet is my wife and I, along with our six-month-old, attended a Friendsgiving last Saturday. And one of my wife's friends brought, I always get these messed up. I think it was a pretty expensive whiskey. I think it was a whiskey. Someone's going to crash me on this. It's called Eagle Rare 10. Yeah, it's bourbon whiskey. And at the end of the night, he poured it for basically anyone who wants some. So an update for you guys is still no interest in whiskey.
0: Yes, I thought I lost that.
1: Nope, you still haven't lost
2: that. Still not interested. Did okay, not enjoy so- that experience. Okay, um, okay. So I would, that's a, that's a nice bourbon. However, was it just neat, served neat, or is it on rocks? serve neat. I, it, I would not recommend that to someone who's not a huge whiskey fan. So that's, okay. that's on them. It, it's not, it's, it's good, but it's a higher proof. It's a little more like, has more bite to it. There's a lot going on, but it's not like a smooth, like I would recommend like a Jameson, something that's a lot smoother. So I would still recommend trying it and maybe another year or so, see if you're interested, but especially not on the, if you're not used to whiskey, have it on the rocks. It just melds it out a little bit more, too.
1: Just saying it's not on the cards for 2023, 2024. New possibilities, but
2: so far not looking great.
0: Keep that G- up. I like that thinking.
2: JR, for being not uh, a- an affluent housewife, you have the alcohol taste of an affluent housewife. I mean, burgundy Chardonnay, vodka, tequila. It's champ- really coming champ- together for you. Champagne. I think you missed champagne, champagne in there. Yeah,
1: perhaps in another life that, that was my occupation. It's yeah. not currently, but okay. you well, got to follow what you love. You know, as my good friend Aaron has always said, live, laugh, love. And I feel like burgundy champagne and every once in a while, white Oregon wine is also in that category for me. So that's yeah. that's where my live, laugh, love is.
2: If you find yourself shopping for a Land Rover, just text me. I'll talk you off the cliff. <laughs> All right. Should we get back to the I'm sorry, Danny, should, You're you're in charge this week.
0: Yeah. So you want to start teaching us about how to make wine you yes i
2: think i think have, I think you, I'm have ready. you
0: actually researched
2: of course i've researched danny i'm very studious
1: asking aaron yeah. if he's researched is like asking a bear if it shits in the woods <laughs>
0: are you kidding me aaron is like a goldfish like he cannot fo- like one thing three seconds and he's on to the next
1: like i, I- <laughs> I went to a brewery with Aaron, like, way back. This is, like, over 10 years ago. And Aaron, like, Wikipediaed the brewery before we got there because we were going to do a tour. And he knew all the answers to the to the questions the tour leader was giving on the tour yeah. just so he could get extra swag and,
2: like, extra pours. Yeah. I <laughs> I, li- I live to ruin tour guide's days.
0: <laughs> you would be a really good tour guide.
2: I would be. So, yes. So, I thought we had been talking about the process of wine and Danny being more of the novice here. Uh, was asking, you know, through our first few episodes, asking a lot of questions. And I thought to myself, we should probably just talk about how wine is made. Let's not assume anything. and Let's kind of guide the listener and also ourselves on how it's made from growing from the ground to the bottle that we enjoy. So sound good, guys? Yes. Okay. All right. So this is going to be at a very high level because depends on the type of wine, location, preferences. It all varies. So take what everything do you with a high level. Some, like. I'm just going to give you a broad example of how like a type is made.
0: So like you're an eagle high in the sky looking down. An
2: eagle rare bourbon whiskey looking high from the sky, looking for mice and hopefully not small chihuahuas like mine uh, to eat. Let's just say, you know, let's just place ourselves. It's a beautiful fall, early fall morning in the Napa Valley, Sonoma Valley. You know, we're really looking forward to. Cal playing a non-conference game you guys can kind of see what you're talking about maybe 52 degrees a little bit of mist rolling through the hills but really optimistic It's going to burn off and it's gonna be a nice day maybe do a hike later this is usually you know let's say mid-september that's generally when grapes are kind of starting to be harvested now of course that can change due to myriad example uh you know reasons heat some folks like to uh, harvest based on moon cycles so you know, astrology girls are also represented in the wine community. It, obviously, it could be impending weather. Let's say there's could be an early frost, for example, or really bad rains, or what have you. So that it, it's always kind of the winemakers, or not necessarily winemakers, but grape growers' uh, decision of when to harvest the wine, the wine grapes. Everyone with me so far? Yes. Are, are we going to are going to talk about bricks, or are we just got too deep in there? I will let you talk about bricks when we get there. Okay. You Want to talk about it now? Or you want to
1: wait? We can talk about now because it's the reason why you'd pick grapes. The winemakers go out into vineyards and they check the can alcohol I guess plus what, sugars. Okay. Can I guess what yes.
0: brick means? Go for it. Okay.
1: Great podcasting. I don't think it's an abbreviation, so I'm not really sure where she's going with this.
0: <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm assuming it means bricks, like those red brick things. And I'm wondering, how do they use that in winemaking? And right. the best thing I can come up with is they bury it in the soil.
1: OK, I'm for following some reason, for is, is some that, reason. Is that the end of the guess? Like they yeah, just bury it. in the soil next to the <laughs> yeah. vine. Yeah, They don't, they don't like put the red brick on top of a grape to see if it crushes. And if that happens, <laughs> it's ready.
0: I thought about that, too. <laughs> but the water, the, the under the soil came to me first. So I figured go with your instinct.
1: Bricks and wine terms is B-R-I-X. Not. Yeah, not B-R-I-C-K-S. Oh so no. a different, different uh, word entirely. Brooks okay. is checking the sugar slash alcohol content of the grape. So the winemaker will go out into the vineyard, check the grape, and then depending on the wine they're trying to make, they will pull or take off the, the grapes once it reaches the certain level that they're looking for.
0: How do they find it?
1: I believe it's a, oh gosh, science terms. It's, it's like a refractor or something like that, that they can look through and it's, it, it's a science thing. I'm not going to go that deep. I'm not building the eyes. Sorry, guys.
0: Okay. All right.
2: You are our science guy though. So, so Jared, so if, for example, a like Zinfandel, which generally wants to be a higher alcohol wine when it's all said and done, you want it to be on the vine as late as possible, right? So it can really develop the sugars as opposed to say a more acidic, less sugary, you know, varietal you want to probably pick a little bit earlier. Is that fair to say?
1: That is fair to say.
2: Yes. Okay. So yeah, exactly. So certain grapes, you know, you don't necessarily want it to be super sweet. So anyway, let's, you start harvesting the grapes, literally picking the grapes, you know, the vi- the bunches from the vines. Danny, you with me so far? Yes. Okay. So, and then from, there's either, you know, the winery owns, you know, you might been, have been to wineries where they own the vineyards just outside of it. And it's all done there in house. Or there are, basically just vineyards where there's no winery close by they just sell to you know winemakers in the region of course proximity is very important because once it's picked they want to be you know starting to be you know crushed and fermented within a day or two right jar yeah for example if i'm a winemaker in new york state i'm probably not going to use grapes from washington state because you know it's just too logistically hard to get there in time Can whereas you freeze them mm, no they ship some on dry ice, but like it's not going to
1: last that long to get from like Washington to New York. There were some winemakers. This is back going into deep in the wood in the weeds. There were some winemakers in Oregon who were getting Pinot from Northern California, I think because mm-hmm. of fire season in Oregon once. And they they
2: shipped it up there and then I think it stopped.
1: I think they just realized it was too hard to ship that far.
2: Yeah, because you have large quantities too. Like a lot can happen. Ilsa too, even if it's being shipped in dry ice, it's still, you know. It's still an extra day and a half delay from Northern California to Oregon. That's, so I don't know. So anyway, yes. So in general, you want to be, you want the winemaking process to happen close ish to where the grapes are physically harvested. Cool. And then of course, environmental things such as smoke can really just totally mess up a harvest. So for example, 2020 was an awful fire year by, if my understanding is correct, a lot of the Sonoma, Napa Valley, Washington state and, you know, Oregon were just a lot of the yields were just unusable. Because even if they even if, even if they look good, the grapes look good uh like they normally be harvested, there's still that smoke is like in the skins, it's just it's in the plant itself, kind of poisoning it, so it has a really off taste, so they usually just let the grapes just kind of shrivel up and die right there, and then kind of go back into the soil, which is really unfortunate, given all that goes into ma- making wine grapes anyway so now let's talk about the the grapes being at the wine making facility for crush and fermentation so i'm sure folks have seen you know the images of folks you know literally crushing grapes with their feet that is still a process that you know some smaller winemaking you know winemakers still use but in general yes danny hello
0: you know that hypothetical winery we made last episode can we still do this can we crush it with our feet yeah you guys no, jr's not in why are you not in jr
1: why not jr danny there's a tradition in burgundy that only women can crush the grapes with their feet how do you feel about this
0: i don't support that kind of inequality personally so, so you mean, want to crush them with your feet i support that
1: thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity i think we <laughs> all it's need your to choice. have
2: pedicures before we crush with our feet i think it's a fair ask
0: i love we, that i love pedicures
2: should we yes. give each other pedicures or no. go somewhere no. go, okay no. go yeah. you want a professional yeah you do yeah. i got i got a gal good
0: but like besides the whole like Gender thing. Is there any reason besides it's a lot of work to not do it with your feet? Do you get a better product if you do it a different way?
2: Well, it's a lot of work to do it with your feet, right? Right. It's just not, yeah, terribly scalable because you're, you're kind of the top, the clock is literally kicking, you know, ticking on the grapes before they kind of, you know, decompose. So it's okay, like with like a small amount, but you want to get the grapes going probably as soon as possible. So, So
0: theoretically, yes. You could charge a lot more for the ones you do with your feet, right? Like, I know I would probably pay more to drink wine that somebody crushed with their feet.
1: So they don't, you're not going to advertise it that way, right? Because people are still going to be like, ew, this grass is crushed with their feet. But to give give a specific example, like usually the best vineyards in Burgundy are crushed by feet. And like usually the grapes that are at the village level are crushed by machine because they're Mm -hmm. trying to be more delicate, more precise but now we're getting too far in the weeds. So let's kick
2: it back to Aaron to keep us on this track. Okay. We have, let's say we have a whole cluster of grapes. We have the stems, we have the grapes themselves with the skins, and of course, and the grapes themselves are also seeds. Um, not like, you know, unlike where at grocery stores, if you want to buy grapes to eat, they're usually seedless these days. These are old school, you know, non GMO as far as I know, I think they could be wrong. See, uh, Seeded grapes and the seeds are very important for a lot of reasons. So you can either, you know, if you're going to if you're going to make like a Syrah or a Cab Sauve, you're probably going to want to de-stem them so that you're just going to be fermenting the grapes themselves with the seeds. If it's more like a Gamay or a Pinot Noir, let's just talk about red wine for now too, just to make things simple because white wine's kind of different. You're probably going to have some de-stemmed, but a lot of times you're going to leave the stems in there because there's that the tannins will be more prevalent and just more body and complexity. And if you did it with a Syrah, a Cab Sauve, if you left all the stems in the, what, fr- while you're fermenting, it's probably going to be a little too intense. There's, there's just a lot going on because those grapes are already pretty bold and, you know, full bodied to begin with.
1: When Aaron uh, says stems, you're, you're yeah. following, right? Danny, like that makes sense to you. You
0: get the like physical stems, right? Yeah. 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 Like what yeah. the grapes hang off of.
2: Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. So let's just pretend that we're going to use stainless steel to ferment our grapes. So imagine a stock pot. On your stove, right? Just a stainless steel. I have all clad brand, not to brag, but. Okay. um,
0: Big spender over here. (laughs) Flex.
2: (laughs) Imagine that times what? A hundred. So it's maybe, you know, 12 feet, 14 feet tall. You know, maybe Kobe could lay down in it twice over. Like, you know, they're, they're very large. You fill those up. Just like Kobe. Yeah. Just like Kobe. Yes. Flex. You fill it up with the grapes. Like And you can have the whole cluster. You could have some stems in there. And basically, you want to turn that up and, you know, think think of how many grapes you would need, how many, I guess it'd be tons of grapes you would need to fill that bad boy up. I mean, a lot. You turn that up and these are all, you know, these days would be all pretty well regulated to about 80, 85 degrees Fahrenheit. You're going to have that basically sit there for one, two, three weeks. That seems to be where most winemakers.
0: Is there either. a lid on it or is it open?
2: I think it's generally open, right, JR? But sometimes there's lids. You definitely need to access it frequently.
0: I was thinking a lid would hold the heat in.
2: Yeah, but it's not that warm. So, And it's I think these Too, they they're pretty good at kind of regulating the temperature. Be- the reason why you want to have the lid open at least access is because we kind of talked about it once, I think it was last episode, where there's different methods for fermentation. So there's this, is it the push?
0: The, the pour over, right?
2: Well, there's a pour over method where you're literally... Taking juice from the bottom and pouring it over the top. The as the grapes ferment, the stems, the seeds and everything kind of rise to the top. Cause they have a low, higher dens lower density. high density? Anyway, they rise to the top. And then if you kind of gently just pour that juice back over it, then you want to be really careful with it. Then like the flavor, you know, the tannins, the structure, all just those enzymes kind of then come go back down into the into the vat that's fermenting. Or you can do the uh is it the push method? What's it called, Jar? where you just basically help the press. Like press method. Yeah. Where it, where instead of pour it over, you have basically, it looks like a broom almost that has like a stopper, almost like a giant plunger, so to speak, where you're just gently pushing it in there. And that way it's just doing its thing. But um the way you depend on how fragile it is, depending on how much you like, what kind of wine you're going for, it really depends on this, this part. So we do this every so often for about, let's say two weeks. Everyone with me? I'm following
1: right. so far. I okay. think the thing Aaron's going through is, like, there's a lot of options that winemakers a options. have to make. And, like, it starts in the vineyard. It starts with how you farm. It starts with when you pick the grapes. So, like, along the way, like, giving a high-level view of how to make wine, you're trying to talk about, like, the way one person could do it in this hypothetical scenario. But, like, there's so many different paths that you can go down yeah. to make
2: wine. Yeah. And then from there, it's fermented. You generally age it. So you can age it in oak barrels, concrete, stainless steel as well. And it just depends from anywhere from zero aging. Like,
0: this is where, like, whenever they hand you wine and wine tasting, they're like, and it was in a French white oak, whatever. That's th- correct. This is this part. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. That's that part. So it all depends. So it could be, you know, brand new oak barrels, which would impart a lot of the flavors of the oak, a lot of that butteriness you get, you know, and, you know depends but or if you want just a really subtle you know aging characteristics, you have more neutral oak or used oak barrels they could be from distilleries in the past, or usually they're generally recycled because they're so expensive how much does it how, how much does one cost are? do you know
1: I don't know i I know it's hard to get the ones that you really want, and yeah. obviously it's uh there's a lot of fight for the ones that are used coming from famous wineries so it's
2: it's not a, as easy as you'd think to get the the type of barrel that you want. Absolutely. So then that also kind of creates create, creates creativity and how folks want to, you know, approach their wine aging because of, hey, hey, I want these, you know, high-end American or French oak barrels, but I can't afford them or I just can't get them. Then you kind of just go to different ways. Like I want to start aging in concrete, for example, which has a really neutral, doesn't really impart much flavor at all. But it turns out this actually is a pr- preferred way for me to age going forward because I actually really like, you know, the fresh taste it provides. And this can be anywhere from, you know, three, four, five, six months to 18 months. That seems to be pretty normal. It all depends on the winemaker's preferences, how they want to approach the wine, what they think it needs. And during this time... Some also depends on regulations.
1: There are some places where it requires you to age for a certain amount of time. So like there are some regulations to say Barolo, it has to actually sit in a barrel for a certain
2: amount of time. So there are some requirements depending on the wine. Do you have any questions so far?
0: No, this all makes sense.
2: Sounds good. And then from there, if the winemaker thinks it's you know ready to go, and you know even if they don't think it's ready to go, sometimes there's financial pressure. Like we just need to bottle this to create cash flow, get this out the door. There's a lot of reasons to go for. It. Or if they if they're feeling like financially just okay, and it needs more time, sometimes we'll just let it age for you know a lot longer if they need to. And then they bottle it. Even from there, they can sometimes think it needs to before they sell it. It can just hang out and bottle for a little bit of time too. So there's a lot of decisions to be made. Whether it's from climate, climate perspective, from an economic, financial perspective and just preference perspective, there's no right or wrong way to make, you know, wine, but that's kind of the, at a high level, how it's done, at least for red wine. Thank you, Aaron. I
1: think that's a great overview of basically how wine is made. I mean, there are some cartoons out there that show you some of these things, but I think Aaron's hitting on that there's a lot of decisions winemakers have to make. And the more you know about the winemaking process, the more confident you'll feel in what you're talking about, but also the more confident you'll feel in what you like because you'll kind of understand like these are the profiles I'm looking for in wine and this is why they're there. I think there's certain associations people have when they hear like New Oak. They're like, oh, that's a big buttery Chardonnay. But some of those are other choices like that could be just like high sugar alcohol Chardonnay and and especially... For U.S. winemakers, they're permitted to add additional things that aren't just like from the grapes into their wine to help with filtering, to help with the colors of it. But that's why the natural wine movement kind of took hold. We won't go there today, but it's just another element that just plays into winemakers' decisions.
0: I have a story. So we had some friends who were vegan and we went to go buy wine because they invited us over for dinner. And we went to, I don't even know, some like bevmo or wine store big wine store you know and they had a whole section for vegan wine and we we're like what do you mean is a wine vegan it's great but because of the filtering process i guess they use like eggs sometimes or something jr
1: <laughs> aaron do you want this you want me to take it jr why don't you go for it okay so there there are egg whites have previously been used in like white wines so there are like elements that can be used that don't necessarily come from the grapes that end up in your wine. So if you're going from a strictly vegan standpoint, yeah, like you have to search out those. But I believe natural wine, for the most part, is going to hit the same things as as vegan wine because they're not supposed to be adding anything to it or taking anything out of it. So in theory, that should fill
2: vegan. But that's not terribly common, though, to add, add egg whites in the filtration process, is it? It seems very old. I, I,
1: I don't believe it's currently... But I also don't know, like, some of the other additional things. Like, I mean, citric acid's in there. I know that's not necessarily in the vegan conversation, but there are things that are being added to wine to help with flavor profiles and stuff that can impart into this discussion. But that's another example of, like, Danny learning that, like, there's more elements to wine, winemaking than you can ever anticipate. And it really does come down to the winemaker for making those decisions and, like, their vision for what they want.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah.
1: Danny, Mm -hmm. should you take us to our next segment after Aaron's uh, beautiful silica of winemaking 101 from Professor Aaron?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, first, Aaron, are you done? I am done. So thank you, Aaron. That was uh, that was lovely. That was very fun. I felt like I should have been taking notes the whole time. I'm not going to remember bricks, but I will try.
2: There will be a test later.
0: (laughs) I'll ace it. And moving on to our next segment here, we are going to do a wine list of the week where JR has chosen a restaurant and we looked at the restaurant's menu and we looked at the wine list. We each chose a wine off the wine list and we're going to tell you why we chose what we chose. Who wants to go first? Usually I'll give a
1: little 411 about our restaurant for uh, this episode. The restaurant's called the Morris in San Francisco. I believe it's famous in wine circles, but it's also now famous in foodie circles from New York Times, calling it one of the top 25 restaurants in San Francisco. The cuisine they serve is New American, so they really focus on fresh ingredients. But they have some interesting things that you probably wouldn't see on other menus necessarily. For instance, there's duck heart skewers on the appetizers. Uh, there's also a lamb sausage on the main course. So there, there's some maybe different things to pair off of here. There's also a caviar service. So I think it would be a, a good time to to have a Besties field trip. And they also have a ton of vegetarian dishes. As we should Love mention, that. Danny is vegetarian. Is it hard to get a reservation here? You know, I don't look at these things.
2: <laughs> just look at the wine
1: list. I just look at the wine list. All right. Aaron, so, would
2: you... Yeah, I'm going to do my choice. So, of course, we got to talk about the food. I mean, there's pork belly, rock cod, New York steak. I think for this, and there's also smoked duck with root vegetables. I think for this, I would just try the duck. I don't think I had duck that often. Kind of a weird thing to order, but I figure if it's at a nice restaurant, that's the place to do it. And I'm seeing here, there is a winery called Bedrock, which I actually found out about from my research about the winemaking process. They had some great videos on YouTube.
0: Wait, JR loves Bedrock.
2: I do he love that. Oh, that's why I probably also. He has read. a
0: hat that says Bedrock on it.
1: Great call, Danny! Shout out to Morgan and Chris. Love those guys. Uh, Bedrock makes some fantastic wine from Sonoma. Their mission statement is basically trying to revive and keep old vineyards in California. So they try to do as as many of the old variety field blends of California wine that they can do, and they're. Resistant to change in terms of ripping out vineyards and planting just monoculture wines,
2: but hmm. big fans of Bedrock on this podcast. Wow, what a coincidence! Serendipity is not just a film with John Cusack. So, they for sixty-four dollars, which if I'm at a nice restaurant in San Francisco, I think it's a pretty good value. They have a Zinfandel blend. I don't know exactly which other blends are in there. I'm assuming it's mostly uh, red Zinfandel. I figured that's kind of when I think of Zinfandel, I do think kind of that Sonoma area especially the fact they probably have old vines that they're harvesting from just makes it all the better. So I figure that's going to be pretty neutral, not neutral, but go with the foods that I'm going to be ordering. And a good Zinfandel that's made well is pretty terrific. And also, let's be honest, it's a little higher on alcohol. So you get more bang for your buck.
0: Great choice. Makes sense. I don't know if I've ever tried a Zinfandel. I'm sure I have. Maybe like Christmas Eve one year.
2: I
1: don't think you'd like it.
0: Okay, then I probably haven't tried it.
1: We, I, the only Zens I've opened at, I guess, my in laws. So Danny's parents' house have been like relatively young. I think you'd like probably an older Zen that's like not in your face immediately. It yeah. is a more of a jammy wine, which like doesn't like usually fruity. There's I mean... fruit, but it's, it's, it's heavier fruit than what you'd find in like a fresh Gamay. Okay. I, I don't like It's one of those wines that pairs well with meals, but yeah. like I'm not really sure if it would pair well with. Your typical plate, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. It's
2: it's worth trying though. But yeah, Jar's right. It definitely it's it's unique. They're different. Uh Zinfandel I think I feel like got a very bad rap from just, you know, cheap wine throughout the eighties and nineties called white Zinfandel, which isn't even really a thing, right, Jar? Or is that
1: Hey, it's coming back. Uh, I had a beautiful white Zinfandel like two weeks ago that makes me think that
2: we might need to give it another try in the future. Okay, so it actually is. There's a a white variety of it. Okay. I thought it was one of those things like Blue Raspberry, where it doesn't actually exist; it's just a brand name.
1: I'm I'm pretty sure like it's it's a thing, and I think like it was just fast guys for what, so long that like was the just... wine cooler they had adver- they had like that's what
0: I, I was trying to 90s. think of. It's in Gilmore Girls.
2: It's like a wine isn't that cooler. white Zen?
1: No, yeah, was looking
2: more like it engaged. Yeah, oh. I'll look it up. Anyway. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad folks are taking Zinfandel a little more seriously because it is a terrific grape, but it and it is more situational. It's not like an everyday grape, in my opinion.
1: We are also recording this podcast around Thanksgiving time. And Zinfandel is the grape of uh, the United States, California, kind of. It's it's almost indigenous, I believe. So it's if you do want cel- to celebrate. From Croatia.
2: Wait, yeah. wait, Zinfandel or Zinfandel? Zinfandel. Zinfandel is from Croatia.
1: Isn't it like the most common grape in California, though? Or, like, it was at one time?
2: It pro- I think it was at one time. I mean, I'm sure Kapsav is definitely the most common. Yeah,
1: I, I there's some h- unique historical perspective of Zen. I know Mission Grape is, like, the actual first, like, grape grown for a purpose in California.
2: Let's research for Corrections Corner, because I'm, like, 99% sure Zinfandel came from Croatia. Because, but i'm sure that like immigrants in california probably the 1800s probably planted it maybe make kind of their own you know modification of it to kind of make it what we know today uh, probably yeah but it, when i think of zinfandel i do think of like northern california personally
0: uh, can cool. i do a corrections corner too right She'll right here Friday. right now yeah luke and lorelei they drank zima when they got engaged
2: that's mm-hmm. not zinfandel
0: no so
1: also white <laughs> zen is not great it's just the style of making zen into rose
2: we should get Zima though. We should do wine goblins drink Zima. And then, can Smirnoff that not head.
1: be like the wine for the episode though? We'll just drink Zima and then we'll have our wine first and then Zima
2: afterwards. Here's what we'll do we'll play Flip Cup. We'll hide smear everywhere and we'll pretend that we're 19 again. Danny so I- keeps trying to ice us. It sucks. Got-
0: <laughs> Never iced anybody in my life.
2: You've iced everybody in your life.
0: <gasps> so, moving on. My turn.
2: Yes. Yes. So,
0: so I chose mine, but I just looked at the price and I'm like having regrets. But I hope, you know, I hope it's worth it. I don't get to go out every day and choose a wine with my besties just every week. So it's a 2016 Albert Boxler Pinot Grigio. And quick question. Is there a difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Grigio? Yeah.
2: Can no. I, Jared, can I answer it? Oh, sorry. Go ahead grigio is the italian term for it that took hold so a lot of stuff is still called grigio just for like marketing purposes but it's the same grape pinot grigio and pinot grigio are the same
0: all right well this wine is did i say the price i probably didn't say the price it's 170 dollars. Wow.
2: 170 wow yeah did you win the, the powerball wow i
0: wish the abv alcohol by volume is 14.5%, which is pretty high, it's I think. It's pretty guys.
2: high, especially for a Pinot Gris. Yeah.
0: We were just talking about that before we started the podcast, too, which is funny. And a little note here from Wine.com about this wine. You ready? tell us
1: about Wine.com. <laughs> Cannot wait.
0: This is the first time since we began working with Boxler that he has bottled a dry Pinot Gris exclusively from this Terrier
2: terrier terrier jack russell terrier
0: in the past this fruit has either been blended into his pinot grige reserve bottling or used to make a Vendange tardive or sgn do you know what that means
2: no idea so Me this either. is a, a fun fact about this spe- specific winemaker
0: yeah yeah it's very interesting it's a full-bodied style of pinot grige with exceptional aging potential so it's so a you 2016. Need to let it
2: sit.
1: Why did you pick this one? Yeah.
0: Look at the logo. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, it looks okay. kinda of like a
2: junkyard Harry Potter font. It's cute. I like
1: it. This, this sounds like a wine you would not enjoy. They stop me knowing your preferences in terms of wine. This feels like a fuller body white. And like you love that like Spanish white we had in episode two? I who knows. It was a long time ago.
0: But you have remember remember yesterday's uh Danny's hot take of the week? You eat not yesterday's last time's Mm-hmm. You have to try what you don't like to know mm-hmm. what you do.
1: I love that thought, but I don't think we need to invest $170 in
2: trying things I don't think you
1: like. But, but look at the... I'm
2: looking. It's a cute font. Yeah. So, okay. So $170. Danny's paying for the meal. Uh,
0: I'm paying for the wine.
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm sure it's terrific wine.
0: Yeah, you guys yeah, will wow. probably love it. Wow.
1: <laughs> so I, I, wow. I I vowed in the last episode to never let anyone outspend me on a wine list. And I've already failed one up later because Danny yeah. decided to pick the most expensive Pinot Gris she could find. So I, I didn't even know didn't she look knew where that was price. on the wine list.
0: I didn't look at the price.
2: So I have a question where, where is this wine from? I missed that.
0: It is from France, America? somewhere in France. Let me tell you. It was why.
2: the All Sauce, right? Yes. All Aaron saws. Yes. All the time. And it's
0: I, 2016.
2: I've really enjoyed most wines I've had from that region. Can't go wrong. Then again, I could say the same about France. Yeah, I've had a couple of funky
1: ones I didn't really love from there, but I've had some great ones I've really loved from there too. Well, I play bass, so I'm more into funk. Mmm. Check out Halftale's new
2: album uh, available <laughs> on Spotify now.
0: Oh, Aaron's but- in a band
2: did i tell you guys that my yoga instructor played it last night really it was so funny i just started cr- i heard the opening riff and i started cracking up and it was so embarrassing no it's not but we need those sweet sweet spotify plays
1: anyway i'll take us home on the wine list i i'm just disappointed in myself for not outspending so, somehow
0: no i'm so sorry i wouldn't have bought- gotten that one if i saw the price
1: it's fine my country club taste buds are shining again and i'm picking champagne <laughs> I'm going to take the Gaspard Brioche. It's called the big three on their wine list. I don't, I think they're just saying the big three because it includes the big three grapes from Champagne. Uh, the actual wine's called 333.B. Gaspard is a young winemaker in the Champagne region who's probably drawing up a ton of buzz right now and his wines are incredibly hard to find. So. Seeing this on a wine list for less money than Danny just spent on a Pinot Grigio just makes me really excited. So I'll pick up the tab for the champagne. Danny's getting the what? meal and the Pinot Grigio. And what's the price? Aaron's driving us home.
2: Well, not after the Zinfandel. It's probably like a 15% Zinfandel. <laughs> what sorry, what's the price of the champagne? It is
1: 129. It's
2: steel. Great value a pick.
1: Steel in San Francisco prices. I don't know what that is retail, but probably like 40 bucks.
2: Now, do you think that the winemaker uh, in France is a big Celtics fan and they just want to uh, honor the uh, 2008 Celtics? Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, that that big three? I don't think they gave the title the big three. I'm a little confused on the wine
1: oh. list title. I think that's from the wine list, like putting the big three because those are what grapes are in there.
2: Okay.
1: Because, like, in the other champagnes, it says Chardonnay or Mounir or Pinot Noir. So I, I think they were just like, hey, it has all three. So we're going to say the big three. Okay. The Holy Trinity, so to speak. Yes, uh Danny. Can we get a hot take of the week from Danny, please? I like to
0: pick my wine based off how the label looks.
2: We, <laughs> so we just like out him. with the Pinot Grigio. That's 170.
1: <laughs> I I don't even know how to, to dress that take. It's like that's that's a style.
2: Maybe you'll so, find a good wine that way. So let yeah, let's talk about it. So. You like the label. So like if there's a dog on it, you're more likely to buy it if there's not a dog on it.
0: Absolutely. Perhaps perhaps a turtle. Yeah. Okay. No, probably not. But okay, so here's the thing. I think a lot of people, mostly millennials and probably Gen Z are like me in that they look at the label. If something stands out to them, they're more likely to buy it just based off how it looks.
2: Yeah, that's fair. It's marketing. So that, yeah. so my, when that, when I hear that, very valid and that's kind of what they're going for. But when I think of like pretty labels or fun labels, I think of New World wines. So, you know, not Europe. So I feel like you're kind of limiting yourself to what you choose. Cause like, you know, something from California is more likely to have like a funny label or something than something from France based on my experience, which is fine. California makes amazing wines, but I feel like you're limiting yourself. We're going to, we're going to do a wine story here
1: and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to apologize to my mom ahead of time because this is a little bit of an embarrassing story for her. Sorry, Em. Uh, we went, I went to back to the previous restaurant we mentioned in Ohio, California, Rory's Place. I went to Rory's Place with my parents and my wife, Taylor, and we went there for my birthday and we picked this wine off the wine list there. And this is going back to our conversation about wine labels. And we didn't, I don't think. I don't know if we saw the wine label or if they had a different label for the restaurant. And so the wine was great. And so after the meal, my mom like figured out which wine it was. She goes home. She wears three bottles from some online retailer who didn't have a picture of the label. And so a week later, the wines arrive. She signs for them and she's unboxing the wine. And she looks at the front label of it. and It's a naked woman. Just. Oh, no. Full- a full frontal naked woman on the label. And she's so embarrassed by this that she has now hidden the wine from anyone to see. I, I keep teasing her that she should bring it to a dinner party up at my in-law's house up on the up on the ranch. And she just refuses to do it. And like I'm just like, just, it's fine. It's just like, but anyway, the wine is from France. So I would say that like mm. maybe US winemakers tend to go for brighter colors but the french winemakers maybe the ones who aren't the biggest names can can go a little wild too with their choices of what they put on the
2: label so i assume there was full bush because it was french yeah could you float a bottle cap on that anyways
0: i would that would have stood out. that would have definitely stood out to me
2: i i would love to buy a few bottles of this (laughs) i'll send you a
1: link after we're done danny i want to hear from you though when you were looking for that vegan wine, wh- was there any label that stood out to you from there? Well, like when you go into a wine store, say something like a Bevmo or a Toll wine or whatever, like a big box, and you don't have a wine in mind that you want, what's your process like then?
0: Okay, I actually feel like I'm a really bad person to ask. And it's different every time. I don't, I get distracted. But with the vegan one in particular, that one, That one was people we don't like, so I just wanted to buy the cheapest stuff we could find.
2: Danny, if you were going to come over to a dinner party at my house, how much would you spend on wine?
0: Are you? Is Karen hosting?
2: Karen and myself are hosting. (laughs) Is is it just? Fritz (laughs) is is not hosting. He's a terrible host. He just barks.
0: I'd bring him something. Is it just like for an event? There
2: are six people total, three couples.
1: So so our mutual friend, who sometimes shows up and sometimes doesn't,
2: is not invited? I'm taking it? He is uh, banished from dinner parties at my house. <laughs> I'm just joking. He's not. We did send an invite for this party. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a legit invite. All the details are there at a the time. It's from six to nine, because it's hilarious. Obviously.
0: Okay, so here's the thing. I'm somebody who doesn't know anything about wine. I know some. I probably know more than a lot of people now, but not much. So... And I really like Aaron, and I really like the people who are going to be there. So I would probably spend around like seventy to one hundred dollars.
1: Wow, what? I'm inviting you to more dinner parties. Holy yeah, cow! I inviting
2: you ever. Jeez, Louise.
0: Well, Jared, the thing is, there's like six couples or people or something.
2: Yeah, couples, six people total.
0: Yeah.
2: So, would you buy one bottle or two bottles?
0: Um, probably just one, because I feel like they would all bring one as well.
2: Okay. We'll we'll invite you over.
1: Wow. I I need to organize a dinner party and invite Danny.
0: Okay. Well, the thing is, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be good wine.
1: (laughs) Hey, in that price range, I'm willing to take my chances. Yeah.
0: But going back to the label thing, I think for me, things that stand out are mostly, depending on my mood, they're either very simple or they're cartoony, like Mm -hmm. the one that I showed you guys that will we'll post a picture on instagram of what that label looks like
1: and <laughs> looks like one of the oldest wineries in the world
2: <laughs>
0: is it not cartoony it looks like a map like
2: <laughs> it looks like a junkyard harry potter font yeah yeah, yeah that's fair okay. okay i will say like a lot of the standard like french uh labels for example they do kind of all blend together right i kind of a lot of them have the same look yeah like, like bordeaux because... chateaus or you know
1: so I, like the
0: wine I feel like drinking. they found like
1: a standard for each region and like they've all bought into
2: that standard. Yeah. The wine region has lots of tradition, it seems. Who huh? would have thought? Yeah. For wine countries and Appalachians. Anyway. Imagine, Imagine a grand crew with just like some random cartoon on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> just some dog
1: like barking on the front of- <laughs> Like, I <laughs> don't <laughs> this <is> Grand Crew.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Good boy Sparkies, Grand <laughs> Crew class A. <laughs> that would I think that would actually cause a revolt in France.
1: I think so. That yeah. winemaker would be chased out of that country. Danny, how
2: many questions do you have right now? I also see the wine sitting in right now.
0: Uh moving on. What wine are we drinking this week? Oh.
2: Would you like to describe it to us, Danny?
0: Can you say the name first?
2: I believe it's Stefan Augier. So this is a northern this is a northern Rhone Syrah. I guess you guys want me to discuss grown wines? No. I want I want Danny's
1: thoughts and okay. then we can go past that. Let's just general overview of the wine. Like do you like it? Danny Danny prefers white recently. Uh she's been more into white wine recently, but we're currently not
0: is, Yeah, this is like a more mild red than last week in my opinion. I like it a lot. I wouldn't necessarily say like yeah, I would want red meat with this, but I can see how it would pair well with red meat. Definitely more neutral. I get some, like some kind of berry, like a tart berry. Yeah, good. I give it a eight out of 10. I drink it again.
1: And these scale it? changes every week, and it's like <laughs> part of the episode. We've been on a hundred point scale. I think one time we have five point scale, and now we're on a 10 point scale. <laughs> gives it two thumbs way up. <laughs> and Bavino gives this seven stars.
2: <laughs> All right. J.R., tell me tell me about your thoughts of this wine. I think it's a fantastic Syrah. I'm I'm
1: greatly pleased with it. Uh, Danny referenced it, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But in our previous episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, we uh, were drinking a Barbera from Piedmont, and this episode we're drinking another red, medium Med- medium bodied, I'd say. Yeah, it's uh, not from super full. No. And it's just luscious. I, I don't really love using that word, but it's just kind of a luscious wine. It's just easy to drink. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's much more approachable and easier easier to drink than I thought. When I poured it, it had such a dark, beautiful kind of plum hue to it. I was really interested in trying a Northern Rhone Syrah because you know, there's a lot less of them than Southern Rhone. Like 95% to 5% of, I think, sorry, I think only about 5% of the Rhone Valley wines are from the Northern Rhone because generally it's it's a much harder place to farm. It's just very steep. It's very hard work to farm this region because of the physical, you know, the terrain. So, and it's 100% Syrah is, is in this region. Um, like I said, only about 5% of the Rhone Valley is come kind of comes from here. So I really wanted, to, I, I picked it. I really wanted to try something from this Appalachian, it's from the St. Joseph Appalachian, which I've heard is a very underrated one and a good value because generally these uh, wines are usually, A lot more expensive than the normal, you know, um, Cote de Rhone. Anyway, terrific wine.
1: I don't know if we mentioned the vintage, but it's a 2020, so it's still relatively young. I was just looking at the vintage report for the Rhone because I don't keep a close eye on it like I do in Burgundy. But 2020 is regarded as an excellent vintage in Rhone. So I would recommend based off of the wine we currently have in our glass to maybe seek out some 2020 groans for your cellar, which is kind of how we came up with the name Wine Goblins. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, Aaron's wife gave us that nickname for the wine cellars. Danny, Aaron and I started building. Danny's wine cellar is huge. Aaron and I have kind of established a nice size for ours that we're trying to maintain now. So our wives don't leave us. Shout out to Cellar Tracker. Probably the greatest resource you could have as a personal consumer of wine just to know what is currently in your cellar and where to find it. I don't do a great job of logging which ones I drank. So sometimes I get really sad when I realize I don't have that wine anymore. And I promise to my favorite sister-in-law that I will bring a gamete and I don't have like half the gametes I have on my list. But I'm trying to get better at it as everyone. We're just trying to live, laugh and love. And I think that's it for this episode of the Wine Goblins. Thank you to Aaron for teaching us how to make wine. Thank you to Danny for being vulnerable. And please remember to like and subscribe. And thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.